Some say that alongside this see-it-to-believe-it world is the shadowy realm of the supernatural. Sometimes the residents of that dimension touch us, and in one moment, our lives are changed forever. America's Lady of Supernatural Thrillers, Mary Ann Pohl, is your real ghost chatter host. On this podcast, you'll hear stories by real people who have seen real ghosts. Gordon tells us about an unwelcome encounter with his dead father-in-law, and Lori tells us about a dead logger who looked for his wife and daughter for years after his death until she helped him find peace. Then there's Victoria, who shares her story of a long-dead pig, Edna June, who still watches over her ranch. Did you know a cafe in Anchorage, Alaska is haunted by the ghost of a woman who was blown to bits by a hired hitman? Once in a while, Mary Ann will podcast a tale taken from the genre she loves best, the supernatural. These are just a few of the stories you will hear, and these stories just keep coming. Welcome to today's Real Ghost Chatter episode. I'm Marianne Paul, America's Lady of Supernatural Thrillers, a charter member of Author Masterminds, and your host on Real Ghost Chatter. Today I'll continue reading from Raven's Cove. If you are at home, grab your favorite drink and settle into your favorite listening spot. If you're on the road, please stay safe. In either event, enjoy. Chapter 7. No is not an opinion. I'm not getting anywhere on this report, Kat yelled over the incessant ringing of the telephone. The phones warbled almost nonstop since she arrived. Do what you can, Bart answered. Don't I always? Yes, and I thank you. Right. Sheriff's office, Kat struggled to keep her greeting civil. Can I help you? Hey, kitty cat, how about a late lunch? Wendy, I am up to my eyeballs here. Lunch isn't in the plan. She cradled the phone between her neck and shoulder as she tried to get another word of the report typed. Told you, something big, huh? You know I can't discuss an investigation in progress, Kat said, for what she felt like the thousandth time. This game began in first grade. Kat tried to keep a secret. Wendy wheedled it out of her after a long tug of war and matching of wits. Wendy sang to the world, Kat's in love with Jimmy. Or, Cat's a scaredy cat and thinks there's monsters in her room. Not even one itsy juicy detail? Wendy asked. And here we go again, Cat thought. Wendy still thinks we're in first grade and makes it a part of her life's work. When she takes a break from creating beautiful glass objects in her studio or her newest romantic interest, to cajole the secrets out of me, Cat smiled. Since coming to work at the sheriff's office, Wendy had batted a big fat zero. Back off, woman. If you want to be a good friend, bring me that cup of coffee from Joe's. I'm going to be at this for quite a while. Fine, Wendy said. Just fine. And go ahead and be closed mouth, Miss Secret Sally. The line went dead. Who's on the phone, Cat? Another busybody? Yep. Now about this report. The phone shrilled again. Oh, for the love of Pete. Sheriff's office, can I help you? A how dare you interrupt me again tone underscored the polite question. A deep resonant voice answered her. Sheriff Anderson, please. Cat launched into the monologue for the press. If you are calling for an interview, 
The sheriff does not have time today or tomorrow. We are preparing a press statement for release. Thank you for your patience. And Wendy wonders why I don't enjoy chatting on the phone. One day like this and she'd know why. The phone left her ear to return to the cradle. She caught, not a reporter, and debated about hanging up anyway. Shoot. Cat brought the phone back to her ear. Then what can I do for you? I am Kenneth Melbourne with the Anchorage unit of the FBI. It is imperative I speak with Sheriff Anderson. Knowing how Bart felt about outside interference in his investigations, and because he was up to his ears in this one, Cat went into protective mode. Not in a month of Sundays, Mr. FBI, she thought, but responded in a sweet tone. The sheriff is in meetings all day. Can I take a message? Interrupt his meeting and get him on the phone. I need to speak to him now. His arrogant tone became the proverbial straw. I'm sorry, Mr. Melbourne, is it? Agent Kenneth Melbourne. Cat continued in the sickening sweet tone, which always preceded the scathing, sarcastic tongue lashing she became famous for in Raven's Cove. Agent Melbourne then. Sheriff Anderson is in the midst of a murder investigation. He does not have time to break away from his meetings to talk to you. Am I clear now? Not waiting for a response. Good. Have a nice day. Cat returned the phone to its home. The gall of some people. Ring and ring. Darn instrument. She took a deep breath. No reason to go into catfight mode with an unsuspecting person on the other end, she thought. This is Agent Melbourne again. If you hang up, I will call back as many times as it takes. This is urgent. Tell your boss to pick up the phone and do it now. Catfight mode sounded the first bell in the back of her brain. She knew her orders and she would enforce them. With all due respect, Agent, no. She dropped the phone into the cradle. Ten minutes later and several Melbourne calls later, Cat stomped to Bart's office, angry at being ordered by the know-it-all FBI agent to get her boss. Bart looked up to blazing eyes and a flushed face. He leaned back in his chair, linking his hands behind his head and hoping his body language would diffuse the onslaught of emotion. It didn't. There is an agent Melbourne who keeps calling. He insists on talking to you. Told you my policy on nosy outsiders. Being reprimanded brought the stew of frustration, weariness, and hunger to a boil. Yes, her voice rose. Yes, you have. And I told him too. And I hung up. And he called back again and again and again. I hung up again and again and again. He is now ordering me under threat of interfering with FBI business to put my boss on the phone. He is on hold. Bart knew Cat. No matter who paid her, she did not have a boss. She had been, and always would be, a free thinker and a free spirit. He could not control the grin creeping across his mouth. I see you, Bartholomew Anderson. This is not funny. Now pick up the phone, and I'm putting the other line on hold until I get your all-important report typed. She whirled, stroked to her desk, and plopped down, making her point with a thud. Bart sighed. Those ruffled feathers will have to be smoothed or my life will be unbearable, he thought. He turned to the phone. Sheriff Anderson. Thanks for interrupting your meeting, Sheriff. Make it quick, Agent Melbourne. I have a busy schedule. I believe I can be an asset to your investigation. Bart seethed. Another one who thought he'd be a small town hick who couldn't find a key in a door lock. Is that so? I have worked on several serial murder cases prior to moving to Anchorage. In fact, it was my specialty. It looks like you might have the beginnings of one there. I would like to come and work the case. And I'd like to have summer in January, Agent Melbourne, but neither of them are going to happen. We're doing just fine. Thanks for your concern. If I need help in the future, I'll know who to call. Until then, goodbye. Bart hung up. Chapter 8, Day's End. 
Cat put the final touches on the sheriff's report, a statement which should have taken an hour took four because of the nonstop phone calls and visits from horrified Ravens Cove residents. To Cat's relief, the media storm did not materialize. They believed Bart's watered-down version of the homicide, so the related phone call stopped. For the time being, the media believed John Doe's death to be a tragic and all-too-familiar fate for the homeless. Wendy's promised cup of coffee never arrived, and Cat felt in dire need of a pickup. Coffee and maybe a nice oversized chocolate chip cookie made fresh at Joe's Bakery. The lunch. Cat looks her watch which read four minutes to six. Okay, the supper of royalty. Maybe two chocolate chip cookies. I deserve them. What a stressful, crazy day. Cat grabbed her coat, leaving. Lock your doors, I mean it. Yes, sir. Whether she would or not depended on how she felt once she got home. Cat shrugged into her royal blue anorak, checked her pocket for the matching knit gloves, and headed for the door. Six o'clock in Raven's Cove in October meant dark. She grabbed the cup of coffee and cookies to go. I do feel uneasy about being out tonight, and the report did nothing to soothe my concerns. She shivered. Thank goodness I didn't find the body. I'd be in therapy for years. Which would be tough, she mused, as there are no therapists in Raven's Cove. Grandma Brickens comes close, though. Moose stew and sourdough bread fixed everything. Cat smiled and strolled north on Main to Joe's. Cat opened the glass door. The crowd and its noise almost blew her over. From autumn to spring, most of Raven's Cove's residents were home by now. Not tonight. Too much fear and excitement about the day's happenings. Cat braced herself and walked in. Joe, actually Josefina Latrell, walked briskly for her bulk from one customer to the next taking orders. Coffee, sandwiches, no soup left. Cat smiled, a chip off the old grandma block. Who's next? Joe called out. All business in a rush, the flushed Josefina made eye contact with each customer. During the off months, she would have closed this shop an hour earlier. Always wanted to see the opportunity, she remained open. Lifelong resident Carlton Jonas, having left his teens behind just a moment ago, stepped forward and placed his order. Cat studied the blackboard on the wall behind the counter, which changed daily depending on Joe's mood. Chocolate chip cookies were not on the menu, snickerdoodles were. Fine, a couple of snickerdoodles and a mocha would be her evening's repast. She noted the daily special, baked salmon roast. Must be older than dirt by now, she thought. I'll see if Joe will give me some for B.C. Having been housebound all day, B.C. would pounce in an instant. After a painful trial and error period in which Cat's legs started to resemble a climbing post, she had learned. Fish mollified B.C. The trick, open the takeout box and slide it in the front door with the broom from the porch. B.C. couldn't resist salmon. He forgot to attack. Problem solved. The teenager man, Carlton, finished his order. The man who stepped to the counter next didn't reside in Raven's Cove. Cat released her cell phone from the pouch on her belt and dialed the sheriff's office. Yes, Cat. Bart knew her number by heart. He'd sure dialed it plenty of times when he needed emergency help. I'm at Joe's, she whispered. Speak up, I can't hear you. Cat left her place in line, her stomach protesting, and walked to the door. I'm at Joe's. Good, bring me a sandwich, would you? It's going to be a late night. Cat sighed. Bart, listen. There's someone down here I've never seen before. About six feet, 30-ish, red and black check flannel shirt, shiny new blue jeans. With all of today's happenings, thought you might want to check him out. You're right, on my way. Order me a sandwich, okay? Heaven help me, she thought. Cat made it to the counter in record time, placed her order, and took the opportunity, provided courtesy of the mirror hanging behind Joe's counter, to keep an eye on the stranger. 
He sat in one of the coveted window seats and he looked like he would be staying for a while. Having finished his meal, he focused on a day-old Anchorage newspaper, making him stick out like a sore thumb. Almost no one in Raven's Cove wanted to read the big town's newspaper, which meant almost no one subscribed to it. If this guy wanted to fly under the radar, it would have been better to pick up one of the freebies outside the bakery. The door opened. The night's frigid air rushed in with it. Bart Anderson entered in one quick step. Man, it's getting cold, Bart said, rubbing his hands together. He made his way through the now thinned out line at the counter to Cat. What, no sandwich yet? Cat narrowed her eyes and said, just made it to the counter. Kidding, Katrina, just kidding. He poked her with his elbow. Now where's this person of interest? Cat motioned, right index finger pointed behind a cupped left hand, hidden by her body, in the direction of the man who appeared to be absorbed in his newspaper. The tightness of his body and his jaw flexing now and again contradicted the otherwise calm exterior. Order me the salmon salad sandwich and chips, Bart said as he moved out of the line and made a beeline to the stranger's table. Don't know you, Bart said to the back of the newspaper. The stranger replied, I don't know you either. He lowered his paper, piercing blue eyes locking into Bart's brown ones. Bart stood straight, feet apart, hand on his holster. His stance spoke volumes about a man who meant business and wouldn't hesitate to take down a threat when necessary. The stranger rose and extended a hand. Kenneth Melbourne. We spoke this morning. A storm of anger darkened Bart's eyes until they were almost black. I remember. I also remember telling you to stay away. Yet here you are. Care to explain, Agent Melbourne? The way he emphasized agent made it sound like a dirty word. Realizing his greeting would not be returned, Ken lowered his hand. This isn't going to be easy, but the guy is going to have to accept I'm here for the investigation, period, he thought. I know we got off to a bad start this morning, Sheriff, but as I said, I'm here to help. These were the chief's words. Instead of a three o'clock conversation, Chief Bennings told Marcy to have Ken come along earlier. Ken had made his pitch. I heard of a murder through one of my sources at the local newspaper who received her information from who knows where. It's a real puzzle, decaying body, but not dead long. Colorful stuff oozing from the eyes, odd positioning of the body, no fingerprints, no shoe treads, in fact, nothing to say anyone other than the victim came to the scene. It's possibly the work of someone who has killed before. At first, the chief didn't give an inch, not our jurisdiction. Ken pitched it harder. I think it's the work of a serial killer, Andy. He used the chief's first name when they were in private. He got to know Andy Bennings when they worked together in California, busting some high profile bank robbers. And I think it could be the perpetrator across state lines. I mean, think about it. It's a town of a few thousand people. There has been nothing like this in Anchorage or any of the towns surrounding Raven's Cove. Where did he or she come from? It's worth looking into. We may have a real crazy on our hands here. Let's be honest, Ken, you're just itching to get out of here. But this one could blow up in our faces. Alaskans, as you know, aren't thrilled to have unrequested help. In addition, this sheriff already sounds like he is cocked to make a complaint and make waves in the FBI position. Andy sat back and crossed his arms, never breaking eye contact with Ken. Coming to a decision, he sat up and thwacked his hands flat on the desk in front of him. Here's what I'll authorize. You can go to Raven's Cove. You have 48 hours to come up with facts, and I mean solid facts, Ken, to justify being there. Ken jumped up, holding back the excitement to the best of his ability and headed for the door. One more thing, Agent. Ken spun around to face the chief. Benning stood up, admonition in his eyes. You will coddle the sheriff and handle him with kid gloves while you're at it. You are on shaky ground when it comes to jurisdiction. If 
complaint materializes, it will get ugly for you, my friend. Understood. Thanks, you won't regret this. Ken opened the door and sailed through. I better not, or it's your career, the chief shouted after him. The backside of the door stopped the warning in its tracks. Ken dropped back into the chair. I am not here in an official capacity. I am here to offer a helping hand. Ken almost choked on the last part. This man secured a place on Ken's bad side this morning with his stonewalling attitude. I would like nothing better than to take complete control of this investigation and leave you, good sheriff, in the dust of this godforsaken hole of a town, he thought. Here you go. Barton Ken's attention turned to the warm, melodic voice. A young and gorgeous work of God stood with one hand extended, holding a white lunch sack toward the sheriff. Thanks. Bart smiled at her, the warmth of which showed the good sheriff harbored strong feelings for this magnet of a woman. Ken made a mental note of a possible competitor. I know this voice, Ken thought. Voices, after all, being one of Ken's specialties, gifts, as his auntie would have put it. He could hear her now as if it were only yesterday. A gift from the Lord Almighty, young man. He'll put it to good use for you one day. You wait and see. And whether Ken believed in the Lord Almighty or not, this talent helped to land the job in the FBI. Go figure. Do I know you? Ken stood for a second time, extending his hand to be rejected a second time. He dropped his arm, cold as glacier ice. The chill she puts off would freeze a lesser man, he thought. Kat raised her eyes, revealing their gold-flecked, sea-green color. She shook her head. Oh, this is Agent Melbourne. You remember the FBI agent I spoke with this morning? Kat's look changed from cautious scrutiny to downright disdain in a twinkle. She turned her attention to Bart. I'll be on my way now. BC is going to make me pay for being late tonight. Bart laughed, a warm, contagious sound full of mirth and joy. Yep, he harbors a grudge. I've got the scars to show it. By your own stubbornness. Who found the half-dead, scarred kitten, snatched him up in spite of the hissing and scratching, shoved it in a shoebox, and brought him to me. Guilty. And your love and care transformed BC into the cantankerous, ego-driven feline who became more of your close friend than a pet. True. Two peas in a pod. You two cats. Bart laughed. Both were independent, both were semi-wild, and neither of them would be tamed. If Cat weren't his first cousin, he'd marry her. Those qualities said real woman to Bart Anderson. Cat twirled on one foot and headed to the door. I'm off to face the black tornado. Hold up. I'm walking you home. Don't even think about arguing with me tonight. Bart held up his hand. Not a word. You know I'm right. We're finished here, right, Mr. Melbourne? Bart underscored Melbourne's unwelcome presence by discarding the title of agent. He hoped the guy would take a hint. The jibe found its mark. Ken ignored it. For tonight, Sheriff, for tonight. I want some time to collect my thoughts. I'll be checking into the inn down the way. Bart shot a disapproving glare at Ken before he moved away, put his hand on Cat's back, and walked out the door into the bitter cold night. What arrogance coming to our town when you told him in no uncertain terms to stay away. Cat turned to look through the window of Joe's. I don't like him one bit. Bart smiled. No one messed with Cat's family, friends, or anyone she considered her family or friends. You are one of the most protective people I know. I am, and I'm proud of it. He's just another groupie of a different kind. Wants to get in on the action and make a name for himself. Bart chuckled. Boy, did he come to the wrong town. To make a name for himself, he needs information. I've lived here all of my life, and no one wants to talk to me when I'm on duty. Let him try. Bart's mood lightened, and he began whistling a favorite childhood tune. 
cat joined in, dancing a jig to the melody of Marezy Dotes and Dozy Dotes and Little Lambsy Divey. They broke into raucous laughter, turning heads as they headed south on Maine to Cat's home. If you enjoyed this podcast, I encourage you to share it with others you think would also be interested. If you'd like to know more about me, go to maryannpoll.com and or authormasterminds.com forward slash M-A-R-Y dash A-N-N dash P-O-L-L. Until next time, may the wind always be at your back, the sun on your face, and the good Lord walk beside you.